Hey, sports fans. This episode was recorded during a live show on the brand new Locker Room app. Go download it on the App Store so you can not only listen in, but join me to ask questions and discuss the NBA. That's why it might sound a little bit different than the normal pod. Was Anthony Edwards the right pick for number one? Who is my favorite player in the draft? What are the Mavericks' expectations going into this year? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown live show on the locker room. Uh, what's up, Eli? All right. This is a brand new app. I haven't really used this new version yet, so I'm excited. And uh, hey, I'm going to use this as a podcast uh, on my uh, regular feed later on. So I'm excited to be able to do that. Um, now, we got to figure out um, how we're going to do this and what we're going to talk about. So I think I'm going to kind of start to jump in. But remember, in the discussion, make sure you throw out some uh, questions if you like. If you want to come on the stage and uh, and talk, I'll bring you in. Let's find out what happens. Hey, this is a, you know, we'll do like a talk show on the radio. Um, so let's see if more people will stream in here in a little bit as I tweeted it out. What happens if I press this button? I'm going to tweet this um, and, um, and see what happens. We are live. Uh, anyhow, well, let's, let's get into it a little bit. I, I'm in the middle of doing a video um, right now on the first pick, Anthony Edwards, and whether or not that was worthy of what the Wolves needed. So I was going through a ton of footage uh, today, and I'm just about done. I'm going to probably release it tomorrow morning. But um, it was interesting to see whether or not, uh, you know, he really is the guy that, you know, would merit being a number one pick. We've certainly seen quite a few people um, who, uh, you know, have been picked number one, maybe didn't deserve it, ended up being a bust. And this is an interesting pick because you'd think that, um, you know, you in the, with the modern-day NBA moving the way it is, you'd have a guy who could really shoot if you're going to pick somebody who's not a big man and I can rail about why the NBA keeps drafting the big men who don't shoot anyway for as much as I want. Now, by the way, I, I, if you're off stage and you do want to ask me a question, uh, shoot me a little, a little thing in discussion. Let me know. Uh, let me see if I can make sure I keep my eye on that. Uh, and I will bring you in. So I'm not going to just randomly bring you in, but um, you know, if you want to come on, I will bring you in and you can ask a question. And we, can, we can chop it up. So anyway, welcome everybody who's joining the discussion. Uh, I'm talking about the draft itself. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's been kind of driving me crazy is why continually we see sort of big guys that don't shoot the ball from deep uh, get drafted number one. Um, we've seen that with DeAndre Ayton, who, by the way, can shoot from, you know, 15. Um, but uh, and then we saw, you know, uh, James Wiseman's pick number two. And it's my take on a lot of that is, you know, if you're going to find a really energetic big man that's fast, that can rim run and you can lob it up to him and he can set good screens. I don't know. I feel like you can get that lower down in the draft. Um, it's the guys who are special. The guys who I think should go number one are the six, eight, six, nine, who can really shoot and play some defense. Like maybe in that Kevin Durant mold, that to me would be the guy that they would really want to, um, to, to, you know, that, that's the most value because you can always find, in my mind, guys who are 6'10", who are who have all the energy and they, you know, they set the, the good tough screens and they grab some boards. Maybe they could block a shot or two. Um, and yet, they, you know, they always, you know, prioritize in these big guys anyway. Um, and I get it. James Weissman's body, I mean, that, that guy runs like a gazelle and he's got great hands and he's huge, um, you know, block shots. So I, I get why, wow, that's, that's a guy that's harder to find in theory, but, you know, could you get 
80% of his production and his play from guys in the, you know, number 30? Yeah, probably. Um, so that was my take on that. So as I'm going through Anthony Edwards, you know, I basically kind of isolated this into the four um, most common actions he did at Georgia. And so when you start looking at that over, like, you know, went on the synergy and kind of just looked at the break- breakdowns, went through hundreds of clips, um, you know, I'm looking at Anthony Edwards and his, his, you know, obviously he's got an NBA body. He's got the typical shooting guard look, uh, both, you know, the way his body is because he's about, what, 6'5", 220, and, uh, and the way he plays. A lot of off-ball, a lot of spot-ups. And, um, you know, the, the one thing that stands out is that he doesn't really shoot the ball that well. And I break it down when you see in the video tomorrow, you'll see why, you know, uh, it's easier frame by frame to understand what is up with his rhythm. But certainly um, it's inconsistent. We'll hang in the air sometimes. He'll release the ball like the release point is up, like above his head, which is a two motion shot, which is problematic when you're shooting from, you know, 25 feet away in the pros. And um, but when you do see him, you know, catch and go, and get to the basket on a dribble or maybe two dribbles and finish, that is when you start to realize, Jesus, this guy, you know, has, has got something here. He had a couple of finishes that were just overwhelmingly, you know, dominating. And that's what you want to see at the very least. And, you know, one thing that struck me about the whole draft itself and, you know, the, the overall the number of people that were in it, you know, the people were kind of saying this is sort of a, a weak draft. And, yeah, there were a lot of guys. Like what I'm expecting to see if I'm watching a potential – first rounder playing in division one college basketball is some dominance. You should see guys who can, you know, hesitate and uh, cross over blow by and dunk it on a guy, right? You should see a few plays like that. At least uh, a guy like Obi Toppin, who I was going through with his stuff. You know, I'm like, I, I it was, it kind of got better and better as I watched more and more clips. And at the beginning, I was like, really, you know, he seems like, okay, high energy guy, you know, can he dribble? Oh, okay. Yes, he can dribble. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, can he can he uh, get to the rack? And yeah, and so he had a couple of those plays where he would just, you know, hesitate, get a, get, a, get baseline and just dunk on a guy. Like that was what I was looking for. And I didn't see that on a lot of some of these guys who I was going through. And we'll go through some of them too um, in the list of who, the, who was drafted. And I was like, this is indicative to me of why they would say it's a weak draft because too many of these guys didn't look dominant enough at the division one level uh, to be considered for the first round. It just, you know, even if you're, I don't care if you're a, um, uh, a freshman, you know, a 19 year old freshman, you should still see some of that evidence. Now Anthony Edwards definitely gave us some coast to coast stuff too, which I was glad to see because um, that's the kind of things that you'd want to be able to, you know, hang your hat on and say, wow, this guy can't be stopped in the open court. Um, And so that was why it was important for me to see that. Um, I'm just calling up the draft in front of me right now. Just make sure I have it. So um, anyhow, don't forget if you're in there and you're off stage and you want to come on and ask a question, just let me know. Give it, shoot me a little text uh, in the bottom of the discussion and I will, uh, we'll chop it up. What do you say? Um, so, cause I don't need to talk and hear myself the whole time. I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, and even if it's a question that you want to type out and not ask it, you know, real time, let me make sure in the discussion that that's not happening. Okay. Um, so um, we went back to, to um, Anthony Edwards. So anyway, so I was glad to see that. So he obviously can be overwhelming athletically the way he can jump and the way he can explode uh, to the basket. So that was really good to see. And um, I just I just don't know how ironed out his jump shot is going to be ultimately. And what will probably end up happening is that they'll do what they were doing in college is just give him a lot more room and dare him to shoot. 
Um, he didn't shoot that well from three-point land. In fact, I think he was under 30%. Let's see here. 29% from three on, you know, almost eight attempts per game. It's a lot. It's a high volume. And he jacked him up in, um, in transition, too. So I show that in the, in the video where, you know, he's going to either somehow figure it out a lot better off the dribble uh, uh, before the season starts or the coaching staff is going to be like, dude, you got to kind of calm this down. You can't be shooting these uh, or, or, you know, make something happen for somebody else. So that's a real interesting issue for him in transition. But it's clearly if he gets to the rim, even against NBA defenders, I think he'll have some success because he really is powerful that way when he gets close. Um, what else do we have? Pick and roll. Um, again, because of his shooting or, or lack of shooting, they just go underneath. And they also would feel okay to switch on a lot of those. And it just kind of stymied the whole thing. And, you know, he would jack up a three out of the pick and roll. And it really wasn't – it was a success for the defense, in my opinion. So that's another issue that they're going to have to deal with if he's going to get uh, any kind of pick and roll stuff. And, you know, on the with Timberwolves, he probably will. You know, I mean, even though he'll be playing off coach, uh, off ball, and he'll see, uh, you know, a guy like D'Angelo Russell run the show more often, there's no question he's going to be getting pick and rolls. So, hey, what's up, guys? I see in the discussions people joining us, Eduardo and Brian, what's going on? Welcome. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to either type them out or I'll bring you in um, as a audio discussion. So either way, let's make it happen. You might be wondering why I got into coaching. Well, one reason is instead of training to increase my skill level, I pushed my body to the extreme to overcome my skill deficit with sheer effort. And it led to a series of debilitating injuries that I still deal with to this day. Relief from all these muscle aches was hard to come by. But when I discovered Theragun, it was an instant solution that allowed me to stop medicating to avoid the pain. Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now as quiet as an electric toothbrush. I've saved a lot of money by not needing to go for professional massage therapy anymore. And it's so convenient, I can use it whenever I have a few minutes. In fact, using the Theragun for two minutes on each muscle group just before bed has allowed me to sleep much more soundly and relaxed. Try Theragun for 30 days. There is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need. It starts at only $199. So head over to my special link at theragun.com slash bball right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash bball. Theragun.com slash bball. Right now, we're still talking about Anthony Edwards and why he was picked first. And, um, oh, here we go. Simon Pelsman wants to. So that's a nice way to let me know. A little, a little uh, notification. Oh, where did it go? Here we go. Uh, let's bring you on, Simon. I just want to hear your take on kind of what you think of Wiseman at two and if you think he was really the best player there or if that's just a fit thing. Oh, great question, Simon. Thanks for coming on. And I think it's a, I think it's a fit thing. You know, again, it's a, it was a, it's a weird draft. I can remember when Adam Stanko, who joined me on my live show on YouTube, who is literally, if you don't follow him and listen to what he says about these guys, you're talking about one of the, the most most in-depth information you're going to get anywhere. Um, he sent over a list of like possible first rounders. And I think it was like at least 45, 50 players, which is crazy when you think about there's only 30 spots. Generally, when you're looking at the first round in a play in a, in a normal year, you're not going to have 
40 guys in that list for 30 spots. And so it was a really weird, you know, pool of players to choose from without question. So obviously with Wiseman, again, like they have, there's an obsession with the NBA teams about like size and you see a guy who can run really well and have good hands. So I got to pick him, even though I feel like you can do that um, as well. Um, hang on, Eduardo, I'll get to you in a second. So uh, when you're looking at like, okay, obviously before the clay, injury which i'm sure everyone's heard he you know tore his achilles and it's that's just devastatingly sad um because i was really looking forward to seeing how you know the warriors make it you know mix it back up in the west and, and may, who knows maybe steph curry will put him on their back put him put them on his back and you know lead them to something but i just you know without clay it doesn't seem where you know he defensively even it's just it's devastating so at any rate uh it was a perfect fit for them because they needed some more size and they needed a guy you know, to play that, like, Festus Azili role, you know, he's not going to shoot. He's probably not going to make passes from the high post or anything like that either. That's the thing I was kind of looking for. My, I didn't see. My, would you – I mean, I, I would love to hear your take on this because pre-draft, I actually um, – I I always really wanted to see a Kongwu in Golden State um, more than Wiseman, really. Um, mm-hmm. But – I, I definitely understand the the argument for taking Wiseman first, just with how different their physical profiles are. Um, but do you think that? I mean, I obviously with the how crazy and weird the timing of the Clay injury was. Um, do you put any credence to the idea of maybe there's a there's a split second there where they're thinking, you know what, um, maybe we go out there and get Lamelo? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I would imagine that they I mean, they went and watched him work out, and I think that they were a little bit down on him beforehand, which I thought was too bad because uh, I think he would be really fun. And, you know, I, I, I suspect that they were going to realize, you know what, Clay will come back and he'll be himself and we'll be okay, which, by the way, is not guaranteed at all in any stretch of the imagination. So it's really interesting to figure out, like, what that process was. So I, I suspect they said, we have a plan. We've already had this plan for weeks. We're locked into it. Let's just not let this injury, you know, get our emotions going and you know, make us make a rash decision. So I think that that's what happened. Um, you know what I mean? I, I, don't, I don't think they let the uh, clay injury affect them at all. But I had said that in my LaMelo video that it would have been a lot of fun to watch him play out there. And then, by the way, he could then slide over to small forward. And when clay gets back, they can play together. And then you can have Wiggins, too. That would be a really fun four. So, uh, yeah. It's um it's interesting how that all played out, and I don't know what they're going to do now. I guess they're going to sign Kelly Oubre or trade for Kelly Oubre. Who, I mean, um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy that they just they. I mean, they're basically taking Kelly Oubre for one year is basically costing them. I think like something crazy like eighty seven million dollars because the luxury tax. Right, it's a problem. It's a it's a that's another problem too. Which you know, I suppose if they have the money, then maybe luxury tax, luxury tax doesn't kill them. But they talked in the past about not wanting to get into that so deep. So um, yeah, I, I love Kelly Oubre, and I think he'll he'll be great with them. But um, there's it's also a little bit redundancy as far as like I, I mean Wiggins is a little bit smaller and and different position wise. But um, I don't know. I don't know if I would say okay. Clay went down. We need to bring somebody else in for that role. Obviously, it's not Ubre. So I suppose their thought process is we'll put Andrew Wiggins there, and then Ubre will play. You know, the, the small ball four thing, and you know, it'll be interesting, is to say the least. Yeah. Awesome. Um, All right. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. I'm gonna talk to you then. Later. All right, Eduardo, come on into the show. Let's uh, let's talk it up. What do you? What's happening? Hey, howdy, coach. How's it going? I hope everyone is well. And, yeah, uh, everyone's saying safe over here. How about you? 
I'm doing great, Coach. Uh, listen, I just had a couple of questions. Uh, as you see, I'm an Aggie. I just wanted to see question number one is what, what are the prospects for Rob Williams in the future? I think I really think he needs more playing time. And uh, give me, you know, give me the book on the on the drafts, you know, for the Celtics. You know, what do you think is uh, going to happen? Are they going to pan out? Um, well, let me first get, so wait, Rob Williams, wait, why do I know you mean from the Celtics? He's a player. He's not drafted. You're talking about the, no, the center. Yeah, no, no, he's, he, no, he's in the roster. You know, he's, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. sorry. I got confused. Yes. So you want me, you want to hear my take on him and then what the Celtics are going to be doing? Yeah, correct. I, I, okay. Uh, I mean, good questions. I, I like Robert Williams. I think, uh, you know, he, I hope he continues to develop, but certainly, uh, he gives them, you know, that again, there's that guy that they could find without having to waste a top pick in the draft who is, is a big body, can set good screens, can, can uh, uh, you know, be a, a factor at the rim uh, defensively and then, you know, score a little bit down there. So I like what they, what they bring there because they don't need him for anything on the scoring in any way. They already have plenty of guys that can do that. So I think he fits in well. I would hope he gets more time, not, although this is going off memory, but let me check really quickly because now I feel like, uh, he didn't play very much, right? He played, uh, yeah, 13 minutes a game uh, right. in 29 games. So I would imagine that, yeah, I would hope that they bump him up and he'll get more time and uh, it'd be more effective than what they had. So, yeah, I'm, I, I think that the Celtics will be in good shape. Yeah, and what about the draft? Uh, what, what do you think about their draft picks? Um, oh, my goodness. Let me check. So the Celtics, they got Peyton Pritchard. Um, and who else did they pick? Oh, Aaron Neesmith. Well, I could talk about Neesmith better because I went through his footage a lot more. Um, it's weird, though, because, they, you know, they already had um, – gosh, who did they have on their roster that I was just thinking about? Let me check real quick. They already had a guy who could shoot a little bit um, that they didn't really – oh, I know. Um, what's his face? Where is he? Um, uh, Carson Edwards. So they had Carson Edwards, who's a guy who I think can really shoot the ball, and he didn't get any playing time last year. So it's like, you know, so are, is mm-hmm. this guy going to, is his niece going to get any playing time? Who's a, you know, really good shooter too. And a similar size, like, I don't know what they're, what that means. Cause I think that they, that they, I think Carson Edwards deserved to play more more and would help them. So I don't know what's going to happen with them as far as if he's going to get any time then, because if they, if they treat him like they did Carson, then he won't get off the bench hardly at all. And probably neither will the other, uh, any other rookies they bring in. So I always think that, they, you know, they, they already have a really good team. They got a lot of guys, a lot of experience that are going to be in those roles. So I wouldn't expect too much from the production on any of these good rookies they're going to bring in. Okay. What about college ball coach? Uh, any, any insights on college basketball? What do you think about Buzz Williams and the Aggies? Yeah, yeah, all I can tell you, I don't watch a ton of college, but when I do to like look at these prospects, mostly what I get from watching the footage is how bad the referees are. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I get. Um, but I, I know Buzz a little bit, and uh, yeah, he's great. I've actually interviewed him on my on, on B Ball Breakdown, and uh, it's uh, he's a, it was a great interview. And I like how he sees the game. So uh, you know, but college basketball, I I know I, I, I hesitate to think of how they're going to get through a whole season anyway. The way this is going, and um, I, I hope I hope they do, but it doesn't seem like it's possible. So we'll see. Well, we've we've got to do it. You know, A and M will always be a source of great players. Look at Caruso. Okay, so it's yeah, yeah, it's true. Caruso was again the guy who surprised everybody, but it was it's good to see. I'm I love the story, and he, he can certainly convince me. I didn't think he was an NBA player for a couple of years, and then and then here he is with the ring. Yeah. Well, take care. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, you got it. Thanks, Eduardo. I appreciate it. Okay. Good night. Good night.
So, yeah, great questions so far. Anybody else off stage who wants to come in here and uh, ask questions, you know, jump on. We'll, we'll go for a little while longer. We'll see how we do. But um, let me know. Oh, hey, here, here's a friend of the breakdown, Will Gottlieb. Except, what's up, Will? Friend. Oh, we missed it in the very beginning. What'd you say? I just said, how you doing? Glad you are uh, on the platform here. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's always a pleasure. I hope I, uh, how is it sounding so far? Sounds oh. great. Everything's good. I, I tuned in a little bit late, so I may have missed you talking about it, but I have to ask about our uh, hometown Chicago Bulls here. What's your take on Patrick Williams, the fit, and, um, okay. and him as a prospect? And then what do you think it means for the rest of the roster moving forward? Uh, a great question. I haven't talked about him yet because I, didn't, I wanted to keep it positive. <laughs> and, uh, and the show will turn dark in a second because uh, I don't understand. When, when his name was on that list and I started going through the footage, I started texting some buddies going, like, what is he doing on this list? Why was anybody considering him uh, in, in the first round even? I mean, I kind of get it. For his, he's got an NBA body, uh, and that's, that's one thing. But there wasn't anything I saw from his skills that indicated that he was anywhere close to being ready uh, for the NBA. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I was just kind of throwing up my hands after, you know, play after play after clip uh, of looking at what he was doing and, you know, decision-making was bad turnovers, um, you know, skill level and shooting. I, nothing, nothing stood out to me at all. I, I have no clue what the bulls were doing there. I, I feel like they could have gotten him and any other pick, any other, you know, pick in the second round if they wanted to. I mean, I, who knows if maybe they all start talking about him and if for some reason there's an irrational sale going on on him. But it was exactly the kind of thing you would normally see in the NCAA tournament when some random dude gets hot and then somebody gets, they pick him and then he ends up being a bust because they saw, you know, play a couple games good in the tournament. So this is what it reminds me of. And I don't know. I'd just be very surprised if, if he, you know, contributes at all to the NBA level in, you know, within the first couple of years, tops. Wow, that's uh, much darker than I would have hoped to hear. And I don't know, I think I've been reading kind of uh, the wind tunnel of draft Twitter and all these guys seem to like him. I think um, obviously like the flashes of playmaking chops are pretty intriguing to me, but the free throw percentage, the jumper, those those are all good indicators for me. Um I think he has some really good, like, weak side help defense potential. Uh, there's, like, all this talk about how his, like, hip mobility and the kinetic chain between his hips and quads and calves, like, prevent him from being able to move laterally. Like, I don't know anything about that stuff, so I'm not going to speak to it. But um, I can tell you I've seen him getting blown up off the dribble a few times, so that is a little bit concerning. But um, I think he I think he does a couple of, like, important things well. Um you mentioned like the NBA body. I think you really need guys like that to be able to throw at the Kawhis and LeBrons of the world. Um, by the time Patrick Williams is ready to defend at that level, those guys will probably be, um, you know, in their late thirties, if not out of the league. So, um, you know, I, I think you, you do need those guys. Um, he's definitely like a upside project, but um, I'm kind of talking myself into him and I'm, I'm giving Arturus, and uh, Eversley, the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise, which is something I have not been able to say about the Bulls front office since uh, probably ever. Right. Well, but that is one thing that one of your points of making is that it's easy to be higher on the Bulls front office now than it had been anyway, just by virtue of having different people there. Uh, so so I get that. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a weird team as it is now because – 
you know, I guess what they're going to run Kobe White with uh, Zach Levine and is Markinen, you know, going to be back and then continue to develop like I thought he should have two years ago. Um, you know, and they have Wendell Carter, who, by the way, I had thought Wendell Carter was going to get traded to the Warriors. That was an interesting, you know, rumor, which I turned out was total BS, but at least it was interesting to talk about before the draft. Um, yeah. So, and I always liked Wendell Carter. I have some weird, you know, I, I he, he, no matter how poorly he's played or, or good he's played, I just feel like I've always liked the way he plays and I feel like he could be really good in the right situation. So, um, I, I don't know. We have to give him the benefit of the doubt. And, and again, it's a crapshoot, right? You never know with these draft picks. But I feel like uh, I just not, there's, not, there's no evidence. I, I just don't see the evidence really uh, that he's going to be anybody but, um, you know, be able to contribute on the, on the NBA floor for a long time. And, you know, uh, when there's so many other players that I liked a lot more that could have helped them too, that's when you start wondering, like, all right, why are you wasting the fourth pick of all places to, to do this? So it certainly is curious. Um, so yeah, that, we'll that actually brings up a good, that brings up a good uh, question for me, which is, um, who would you have liked at four better? Because I think it's easy to to throw around the like, okay, well, if you like him, then you can get him at sixteen or twelve or whatever it is, you can just trade down. Um, teams weren't really looking to move up that far, so I, I don't think the trade down option was there, um, especially with kind of rumors swirling about other teams trying to grab him ahead of the Bulls. Who knows if that's smoke or not, but. Um, it sounds like the trade down option wasn't there. Who would you have preferred they take it for? Well, okay, this is great. So, you know, Obi Toppin would have been a guy who, you know, you would have maybe picked who's a little bit older uh, or a lot older, uh, but certainly had a lot more skill and a lot of ability to come in right away and help, even though I'm not like the highest on him, but I certainly think that, um, you know, he could really play. Uh, the other guy who I also really liked was, um, uh, who went way down in the, in the first round is um, is uh, Sadiq Bey. Uh, he, mm-hmm. Here's a guy who I think is my favorite player in the first round. And, like, everybody passed up on him until I got picked, what, like 19th or something like that. I'm, I can't find my damn notes for all my players. Where did I put that that list? Let me find it real quick. But um, uh, he was a guy who I thought, oh, my goodness, he he's the next, you know, all-star, you know, from this, li- from this league, from this thing. So um, that's who I would have probably picked, too. Um, and, uh, you know, they had a lot of, and then let me look really quickly at the other, you know, the other guys, Obi Toppin would have been a guy for sure over that. Um, I like Tyrese Halliburton, um, you know, all those different things. And at that point, the bulls don't need to draft for position or for need. They just need to draft the best available player. So by doing yeah. it there, I don't know why they, you know, it's still mystifying. So I think, um, some of the other players at the top of this draft just seemed like so kind of boring to me because they are so limited in terms of like certain areas of their game and preventing them from being able to like, you know, develop barring like incredible improvement. Um, And I think Patrick Williams is like one of these guys that like has so many different areas that if he hits on any or or all of them, then maybe he could be really good. That's like a big if of course. Um, but I'm excited about it. I think like he's at, at the very least going to be fun and be able to do some things at the pro level, um, whether it's like be a good help side defender or be a knockdown shooter. Like those are valuable things that you want. Um, I don't think that the rest of this team as currently constructed is going to be around for very long. Hopefully that excludes Wendell because I'm with you that he's really the one guy that I would like to hang on to. Um mm-hmm. But I will I will digress. Ethan's up here as well, and, and we've got a good question from Brian about the Mavs. So, um, Coach Nick, I, I appreciate the answers, and I'll I'll uh, let you start talking about the Mavs. 
<laughs> awesome. Thanks, Will. Talk to you later. Ethan. Oh, and I'm in. What's up, my man? What up? What up? Long time. I uh, <clears throat> Brian's question is timely because I have I have two Mavs questions for you. <clears throat> Sorry, I'll ask my draft related one first, and then we can hit <clears throat> we can hit Brian's, which is my my next one. Tell me, t- I would love to hear your thoughts. I'm I'm in no way I don't follow the college game that closely anymore. I'm in no way equipped to to assess these these players or picks myself substantively. So I'm curious what you think of Tyrell Terry, who the Mavs picked later in the draft. I know Kevin O'Connor has had Terry, I think, as high as like eighth on his board, on his final board. Ben Pfeiffer, who who's on who's on locker room a lot, was in here a minute ago. He I think he had him down in like the the low thirties, like thirty two, thirty three, something like that. What do you think about about Tyrell Terry, and what do you think about his fit on the Mavs um, with with their new their new look roster with Seth Curry in in? Uh, well, okay, you caught me without. I haven't gotten my eyes on Tyrell Terry's uh, footage, so I don't know <laughs> what I think about him. <laughs> okay, uh, so I'm not alone. There we go. Yeah, and, I, and I'm and I'm not going to do the thing where uh, you know I'll make it up because you know because you know you, you ever hear that on like on uh, we won't name the different platforms but you can almost hear them quickly like clicking on to something and looking at some numbers <laughs> and, like, starting to talk and I'm like and I, when I know who the player is I'm like that's not weird you know but um, well let's let me let me put it to you this way so I think that you know he's Terry from what I have gathered he's he's small. Um, he can handle he can handle it. He can finish a little bit around the rim, but he's pretty frail. His the big thing is he's a great shooter off the catch and and off the dribble. Um, so maybe another way to think about this is that in an ideal version of of what I understand from Tyrell Terry, he kind of inherits something like the Seth Curry spot. Yeah in the Mavs lineup, you know, as that kind of maybe secondary tertiary ball handler, you know, t- takes a lot of off the dribble sh- threes, some catch and shoot threes. So maybe from your perspective, how, how important was, is that Seth Curry kind of role in the Mavs offense? And is that, is that a like player prototype that they'll need to replace in the immediate term after this? Yeah. Great, a great question. Cause like, yeah, let's fold all this in together because Certainly, yeah. Seth Curry fit in really, really well with what they wanted to do. And primarily because if you shoot 45%, then you're mitigating any defensive issues you might have in those, in, if you're going to play 25 minutes a game, right? Like you're going to end up outscoring whoever else is scoring, maybe the twos that you, because you're too small to keep them off the boards, whatever they're going to do on that end. And remember, nobody even goes for offensive rebounds anymore anyway. So it's not like you're going to get killed necessarily there from that position. And yeah, let's not forget, like Seth Curry was never playing a lead guard role. So by bringing a guy who sounds, you know, sort of just like that, they're now saving money, right, because they have a rookie contract for that pretty the same minutes. And we'll see. Can, can he, you know, Tyler Terry, do, do that, same, um, that, uh, that same kind of um, – Tyrell Terry, do that, you know, the same kind of performance. What did he shoot from college from three? Let me see here. So you know? J- Jesse just threw it in the discussion. He said, uh, just describing him, quick guard, super efficient off screens, 40% three-pointers, 60% yeah. true shooting. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, listen, that's the same kind of thing they're looking for. And you know what? He was, he listed at 6'3? Yeah. I think he said 6'2, but I've, I've seen 6'1 elsewhere as well. He's a small. Oh, 
Okay, Adam sent, sent me over his thing, Stanford, uh, and he said 6'3". Let's call him 6'2". All right, so he's the same as as, uh, as uh, Seth. So I, I think that's what they're doing. They're, they're plugging in a, a role of a player who can play the exact same role for them. You know, now, you know, Will Carlisle played him as a rookie and all that kind of thing. They're going to be a terrific team. That's that's interesting to see how that might play out. Um, and then on the flip side, because they did the trade, you know, they, they already have, you know, they bring in Josh Richardson, who's kind of like the same role as sort of Tim Hardaway Jr., Right. Uh, in a way that like I wonder how they're going to mix and match all these different kind of players. Now, Tim Hardaway is probably big enough. And remember, five years from now, Tim Hardaway could be like a literally a starting power forward. Like that's the size you're going to see for a four. And, you know, and the fives are going to get smaller now. They already have and certainly they have, you know, KP for, for the five. So they might they might play them all together. Right, I, I wouldn't be surprised because then Luca gives you the size and the other on, on the uh, from the point guard position that's interesting, which is usually a flip. So I think they have a, they're they're just very versatile now, and Richardson is a, another good defender. So I like what they're doing here, especially when they can add Brunson back if he gets healthy and the KP. the The biggest issue can we talk about KP for a second, or are we going to stay on the guards? What do you think? No, let's talk about. All right, because you know his his functional movement is problematic, and the way he uh, his knees uh, they they have valgus, they will collapse on each other on, on a lot of his shots and a lot of his jumps, and that puts a lot of pressure, especially on a guy that long. And so you know, I know B Biomechanics and Buddy Tommy, who runs that account on Twitter, has you know it's been showing for years these, these issues. Even when he doesn't get hurt, but he'll show the extreme stress he puts on his knees by doing that. And uh, he's like, "This is a time bomb waiting to happen," and sure enough, it happens. So. Uh, you can train that. You can train to avoid that if they, if you would, you know, band work and strengthening and stretching uh, and flexibility of the hips. So maybe he'll get with somebody who can help him with that. Um, and, you know, my whole take on the Mavericks is it's like they, they could be the favorites to win the whole thing if those guys are all healthy because they needed the guy. They needed Powell back. They needed Brunson. Those two guys probably might, might have gotten them, you know, to the next round in the playoffs this year. And then, you know, they could beat the Lakers with the way they run their offense. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the, 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 the Mavericks play. I just have a lot of trepidation based on, you know, on health. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, anytime that you have, you have a team of, in which uh, Chris Porzingis is a major piece, I think health is always going to be a concern. Obviously Dwight Powell, uh, so much of his game is, he, you know, he's he's one of the best dive men in in the league, and you know he's he's quick, he's really bouncy, and so you know I'll be curious to see. Apparently, he's he's on track to come back for the season, which is kind of surprising. Frankly, I thought he might be out longer than that, but um, yeah, I'm, I'll I'll be curious to see what he looks like. I mean, I love the I love the optimism on your end. I still feel like maybe the Mavs are a year or two and a, and a piece or two away. But I guess, you know, um, I guess Houston sort of showed over the years that if you have if you have that major centrifugal force like a Harden or or a Luca, and you surround them with enough shooting and defense, that can take you a long way. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, listen, I, I don't know if you've heard my completely irrational and hot take about Luca, but I mean, the dude could average a 30-point triple-double for 12 straight years, right? Like, he could do that. He just, he just about did that last year. And if he does that, like, that's, he's the greatest of all time, right? Like, no one has ever, will ever have done those. <laughs> and it's like, you know, so what's going to stop him? So we'll see. We'll see how Luca continues. But, I mean, he would be doing that, leading the an all-time, you know, all-time, all-time highest offensive rated team, you know, on, you know offensively. So 
I don't know. I have high hopes for the Mavericks, you know, and then they're a little bit thin in terms of big guys. But, you know, we, you know, they keep showing us that they don't necessarily need that and um, as much. And um, but but they get enough play out of that position where they just they have they have everything else they need. So I'm I'm really uh, I'm high on them. But again, it's just a damn damn injury. Got to they have to stay away from the, that that uh, the bug the the curse that they do. Yeah, I mean I'll you know I think one of the most fascinating subplots of this of the next few days is going to be what what do what do the Mavs do? What do the Heat do? What do the Raptors do? You know, these teams that have been really, really protecting that 2021 cap space with an eye on on a certain guy out of Milwaukee. And, um, you know, so what happens if everybody, The it seems like the way things are going, everybody kind of expects that Bogdanovich deal notwithstanding, expects Giannis to sign the Supermax. That seems more likely now than it used to. So, you know, do the Mavs try to make a play for, for like, I don't know, uh, uh, Christian Wood or somebody do do the Heat try to pull a, a sign and trade with Danilo Gallinari? I think, you know, these are things that that may not have been in play, may not have been in play a month ago or a couple weeks ago. But if if people start feeling like the Giannis twenty twenty one ship has sailed, we could see we could see some interesting stuff happen. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's another weird thing uh, about the Bogdanovich uh, not willing to sign and trade uh, to Milwaukee that uh, I don't understand unless there's some other, there's some inside information that he has about another team or something. But, you know, why you want to pass up a chance to play on the Eastern Conference, you know, champion uh, alongside Giannis where you get so many open shots and he'd get as many minutes as he wants uh, in, in, a, in a good organization, run well. You know, especially considering he's coming out of Sacramento, I, I it's it's completely mind-boggling to me. And the, the only either the explanation is he's got a terrible agent, or they've done some other deal uh, in backroom deal that's you know tampering or whatever they whatever you want to call it, and uh, and that's going to happen. But it hasn't happened yet. I I guess we have to wait till tomorrow at uh, at three p.m. to find out if there was something you know under the table done. <laughs> right. Well, coach, thank you. I'm gonna I'll I'll step down and let if anybody else has, has yeah. questions, they can come up. All right, Ethan, thanks. Talk to you soon. Yep. And now let's bring on Mike. Uh, Mike wants to come in here and talk. So what's happening? Uh, can you hear us? Yeah, Coach, how are you doing? Can you hear me? I can hear you. It's loud and clear. Nice, brother. Thanks for having me on. Curious to get your thoughts on uh, the Clay Thompson situation with the Golden State Warriors and the potential uh, conversation with uh, maybe Bradley or Oubre coming to the Golden State Yeah, I, we, I touched on a little bit uh, about a few minutes ago, but – Basically, uh, you know, it's devastating for them because, you know, running back, uh, Clay, Steph, uh, uh, Wiggins, who was starting to look pretty good with them and mixing in with their offense, uh, put Wiseman out there, Draymond Green healthy. That's a good team, and they could put some pieces around that to really, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how, how much of a contention I thought they were going to end up doing, but, you know, Steph and Clay are still Steph and Clay, so you'd have to put them in the top four in the West. I think you'd have to start there and then see what happens, especially with Draymond anchoring the defense. So it's devastating, it's without, you know, question. I, I kind of had this weird image in my head. Oh, it may be like, maybe for the last time in his career, Steph is just going to, like, detonate for the whole season and just carry them uh, and in a way that we hadn't almost had never seen from him before. I don't even know if he's got it in him at this point. And I don't know without clay, if he hasn't been in, because he can carry a team, but when it's balanced with a guy like clay, great. But there, they were, but aside from, you know, Steph and clay, they didn't really have any shooting ironically enough. And you, you need another shooter. You need at least three. 
And so they bring in Kelly Oubre, who I love, and he always makes plays. And I think he'll really flourish under Steve Kerr, and he'll make a jump as far as, like, basketball IQ and, and reading defenses, and he'll play off of Steph really well. But, but you know, I don't see how this is going to work that well now uh, without Clay Thompson. I mean, the, he was a big fulcrum for them. It's just, and it's just, a, it's just a, there's a cloud over them now. I mean, there's some serious injuries over the last couple of years that have really hurt them. So, um, I, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. But I, I am excited for Kelly because uh, this will be a good situation for him, I think, to, to make a lot of plays uh, and, and to feed off of Steph in a way that, you know, he hasn't had a chance to play alongside him like that before. Uh, but, again, now what do we say? Uh, are they – if they were fourth – with uh, Clay, are they? They're going to be eighth without him, right, or seventh? They'll be they'll be battling for a playoff spot, I imagine. Do you do you think that Wiggins has a potential to maybe step up this year? He gets comfortable, he can turn into maybe you know an eighteen to twenty four points a game kind of guy, or do we are we going to continue to to see the same Wiggins that we've kind of seen throughout the years as far as concern? You know, I, I would hope that in this situation we'd see it a little bit more consistent. And remember, I mean, he already has – he's he's a bona fide 20-point-a-game scorer in the league, you know, even, even more. Um, and, you know, he, in his brief stint, in, you know, with 12 games last year, he's got, you know, 19 a game, but that was without Steph, really. I think he played – he played a couple games alongside Steph. So I would expect him – I would expect to see – although, again, this is with, with the, the whole team there, I was expecting to see him play as well as he had ever played before, efficiently – uh, easier shots, uh, you know, and be able to do what he does so well. Uh, and now it, it's a little bit more in doubt. But I, I suspect you're going to see at least as good as what you've seen from him in the past uh, in Minnesota, at least. Uh, now, the high watermark he had was 23.6 points a game in 2016-17. Uh, you know, I, he probably will be, you know, in the 20-21 point range. I would imagine his field goal percentage will be higher. He'll be more efficient anyway out of that offense alongside Steph. So, you know, I think we'll be able to see a, like almost as close to this best version as, as you would ever have. Uh, just there's going to be something missing, I think, without Clay out there uh, that's going to hurt him. It hurts everybody because of what Clay does for everybody. So, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate, but I think we'll see we'll see a nice year from him. For sure. Thanks for having me on, Coach. Appreciate it. You got it, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks. So let's see here. We got some in the discussion. Jesse says, quick guard. Okay, we're always offering the Terry uh, in, insights, which was quick guard, super efficient off screens, 40% three-point shooter. So, yeah, I'm anxious to get to see him out there now because I'm now in the mode where I got to study, you know, what the teams are doing and how they're all going to fit uh, so I can get, to get away from some, some of the college footage, which, you know, again, drives me crazy. Uh, the refereeing is so bad and so um, – like uninterested in the flow of the game. So like if a guy rips through on the wing and going to the basket and then, you know, he gets touched on the, on the, um, you know, on the wrist, but it doesn't really bother him. He's still going, they call that. And it's like, why are you calling that? Uh, you know, it's just really interesting and frustrating in the travels they call, you know, I'm watching stuff where I'm like, it's this one call. They don't call travel on the same move. And then they call travel on the other one. And it's, it's just all over the place. Very, very frustrating. So we have someone else who wants to come in. So let's bring in Maxwell. Here we go. What's up, Max? Coach, what's up, man? How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. So you say you don't watch a lot of uh, college, and so I'm really kind of interested to hear your perspective on um, Cole Anthony. Uh, obviously, a very, very highly touted um, high school player had an, had an injury. Um, things didn't go the way you know he, he planned at UNC, and you know I, I kind of have been arguing um, and and and. Uh, and kind of providing more context on the team itself, but as a person that just kind of like watches the, the tape, um, 
and doesn't really pay attention to college t- too much. Like overall, as, as you said, uh, I, I want to get your read on him and, and why you think he fell. Yeah. I mean, I think the injury was part of it. Although, you know, if you look at his numbers alone, they're pretty damn good. You know, he eight and a half points a game, uh, four assists. He shot, um, you know, 35% from three on six attempts. So I, that was, that's pretty good for as a freshman. Uh, you know, I think the problem with him was he had to sit to the weight of the world on his, sh- on his shoulders because he is, you know, the son of an NBA player who was very prominent and, you know, had all this hype. And he had to be careful because, you know, guys coming out of uh, New York like that, you know, we've seen this before, like Sebastian Telfair, for instance, right? He was supposed to be the all-time greatest. And it was, it, you know, it, it didn't it just didn't turn out that way. And so I don't think that that's his trajectory. I feel like he has a legit, you know, chance of being really, really good. And the thing with him is, is, you know, he's been playing alongside these adults, you know, for a long time as a young kid. And those are the guys you got to, you know, when, when you're like 16 and you're in those runs, and I'm sure, you know, they were shoving him in those runs, you know, he's not going to be intimidated by, you know, adults in the NBA, these big guys in the NBA. And so that's good. That's a good sign for me. So I think I expect him to be fine. You know, I mean, you could go either way, but I feel like I'm certainly not down on him like I would be, uh, you know, for the, who the Bulls chose, Patrick Williams. And so the question there is in Orlando, you know, it's an interesting situation where it's not necessarily known as the best, you know, um, uh, culture necessarily, but but uh, it's not the worst either. So I, I I'm I'm just I'm, I'm my eyes are open. I'm willing to say this guy has a chance to do do nicely. Yeah, I agree with you. Obviously, you know I'm a Carolina fan. Obviously, I'm super high on Cole, but um, and I'm I'm wishing the best for him. But uh, I just didn't really see. I really until like a few days before the draft, or like you know when I was looking at a lot of mock drafts, it was just like it wasn't really too much like in depth. It was just like, Oh, he had a bad year. So like, he'll, you know, he should go bottom of the first round. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I, I like that. That yeah. just can't be, I mean, if you want to say, you know, the injury, then, then I, I completely understand. But like, it, it just can't be, you can't just tell me, you know, UNC didn't play well. And, and so Cole Anthony's not a first round or a late first round, you know, a point guard. It just didn't, and it, it, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. So no, I, I appreciate know, that. Yeah, you got it. I, I, it's narratives, right? Sometimes narratives take over and they dominate. It's really unfortunate because it shouldn't be that way. Um, you know, are they concerned he's a bad teammate or not and all that BS? It's like things change really rapidly when you get to the NBA from that position too. Um, you know, and so I don't know. Now I'm not the, I, I used to be a Carolina fan as far as like fandom goes when I was younger, but like, you know, I'm not the biggest like Roy Williams fan as far as development goes and the way the style of play and all that stuff. So, but I'm kind of down on like most college coaches. So he, he doesn't necessarily stand out and that, on that list. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, a lot of, there's not, hasn't been like a, uh, probably like less so less um unc players have come to the nba and really worked or shined or anything like that i think i was having the same conversation earlier about uh about coach k with duke you know we saw a lot of none of his players went in the first round um this year so it's it's kind of that's kind of interesting i i you know that uh, from a development standpoint i think the the one and done kind of like has made it harder, but I think just the with with these some of these blue blue blood programs and these coaches that have been there forever, I think there's just a little bit of um, it's a little kind of a balance when you're trying to build a program that can win a championship, but uh, but also turn out these one and dones. Sometimes it doesn't it, you, it, you, it kind of just gets a little muddy. Yeah, I hear you, but it also is an excuse because in reality, how many one and dones are there in the NBA draft? 
10, 5, 12, whatever. So you're talking about, like, the college coaches are complaining about that when it's, there's hardly, you know, you're talking about 400 Division One teams and, you know, thousands of players, and 12 of them are one and done. So come on. Uh, you have most of your players there for at least a year to uh, coach them, teach them. Uh, when's the last time Roy Williams went to a coaching clinic to actually, like, listen to another coach besides just talking at one? Like, I probably never, right? And I don't blame them. They got, they've won thousands of games. They're in the Hall of Fame. All these guys, Bayheim, you know, uh, yeah, Coach K. But, um, you know, there's always plenty to be learned. Like, you know, you know, doctors have to continue to learn more as, as they, you know, progress through their careers. And uh, these coaches, could, I think, could do well to, you know, to continue staying up on that and the latest training techniques, it's not happening. Uh, the, the whispers I've heard every now and then about like, you know, Duke and that stuff, what they do for individual instruction. It's just, you know, it's a nice, it's like a museum. Like you're back in 1994 watching what they used to do back then. And um, it's too bad. Yeah. Real quick. But I just, before I, I jump down, I just want to uh, get your, your real quick overall perspective on um, the Hornets draft. I'm, as I'm a Hornets fan. I really liked what they did a lot. Um, was, I'm just really excited about it, and but not not only like this class, but um, over the past couple of years, I think you know me personally as a as a fan, and um, I think they've kind of turned their reputation around in terms of just like draft decisions and, and development. They've developed their players really well in the past couple of years. What do you think of their picks? Uh, yeah, well, certainly uh, Lamelo, I'm really high on. Thought he was going to go number one, uh, and that could be fun to watch him and Devontae Graham, you know, fill a backcourt together. Um, so that should be really interesting to see how that's going to work out because, uh, you know, the, Graham kind of had, you know, I, I guess him and Terry Rozier were sort of, you know, having to share the rock that way and it didn't necessarily go as well as they had hoped. Um, so it's interesting to see what they're going to do about that. Cause there's a bit of a log jab now because I think that LaMelo deserves to play a lot and, uh, and what, why not? They, you know, they, they had a really bad year last year. They're in the midst of, you know, they're not going to contend really for much this year. So let's let LaMelo develop quickly. Um, so I'm, I'm really anxious to see how that plays out, but you know, they just need more NBA players, honestly, you know, they, when you look at the roster right now, and that's what Mitch Kupchak brings to them, like you said, uh, it's no surprise that they're, they're nailing some of these draft picks now. And, uh, and it's, it, but it's a process, it's a five-year process for them, but eventually, you know, they'll be able to contend as soon as some of the other teams in the East start to wind down, but you know, it's going to be tough. Toronto could, could start to fall down because they might get a little bit older, but you know, Boston's still going to be great for a while. Um, Milwaukee should be great for a while. So it's interesting how they're going to end up finding their way. But I, I expect them to start getting closer to 500 in the next couple of years. I agree. Thanks so much, Coach. You got it. Thanks. Uh, we have Adam Murphy has an interesting question about Fred Van Vliet, one of, one of the guys on my uh, favorite player list. Uh, what kind of contract is he signed tomorrow? I would imagine a big one. You know, um, I, I ha- you know what I haven't studied yet and I need to is who else is available because it seems a bit dry this year. And so uh, they had to spend their money on something. Remember, uh, the the salary cap demands that the certain teams spend a, a minimum amount of money. They have to spend a certain amount. And so a lot of times that's when it, they fill in the void. We saw that when the salary cap spiked and you saw guys like um, uh, Mozgov get these ridiculous contracts. Good for him, but man. Um, and so Fred Van Vliet, though, you know, he's a starter on a team, whatever team he wants to go to, if he, I mean, pretty much. And so, you know, what does a starting guard get as a free agent coming in, you know, in his prime? Uh, you know, 25? 
right? 20, 25 million. Sounds, I think that sounds about what he should be getting. Um, and I, and I love him. I think he's great. Even though you'd say, oh, he's so small. How's he going to do whatever? It's never bothered him at all. It's never been a problem. And they played it just as well, if not better, when he comes in for the Raptors. So, um, it's sad. The Raptors are going to, unless they can somehow resign him, I don't think they are. Um, he's going to get a lot of money. So I, I would say be anywhere between, you know, 22 and 25. And uh, he deserves it. It's really fun to watch him play. So, anyhow, what else can we talk about? I mean, I guess we talked about my, the guy who I didn't like the most and Patrick Williams, and I understand. Uh, I did briefly touch on uh, Sadiq Bay, And, uh, again, going out of Bill Nova, um, speaking of college coaches that are on the cutting edge and develop and development, I mean, Jay Wright is a guy. He's got a great development program. And so, um, I, you know, you watch uh, Sadiq Bay come out, and he's, he's the guy I'm talking about. He's legit 6'8", great body, can really shoot, can defend, uh, can handle the ball. He can post up. So he, he plays like LeBron in some ways. He doesn't pass like LeBron and control the ball like that. But, uh, and he's not quite like the explosive athlete, but he's that size that you can kind of do a lot of things with and be very versatile. In fact, he can be the kind of guy who will be a center. You know, the way the NBA is going three, four years from now, Sadiq Bey could be a center. You know, and that's and that would be great. You'd actually get a lot of play out of that. And you'd force other teams to really have to go small or get blown off the court. So those are the kind of guys I like to see the most and who, who pique my interest when I'm going through all these different names and whatever. And it, and it was weird because I was just uh, random. I was kind of jumping around just trying to somebody grab my uh, attention. And he, he instantly, as soon as I saw a couple of clips from him, so that was really great to see. Um, Brian thinks that Fred Van Vliet, I think FEL is probably Fred Van Vliet. Uh, like the Knicks might be a destination. Although it sounds like the Knicks might be trying to get, um, Russell Westbrook, <laughs> which is funny, uh, how quickly that's going to all devolve. Um, and it sounds like uh, James Harden wants out of there too. It's, it, I had heard maybe it was a done deal that he was, he was going to go to Brooklyn, but you know, nothing yet. I, obviously the Rockets are going to hold him hostage for a ton of assets and players. They want, you know, a young star and they want, you know, picks. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't blame them. We've seen, um, you know, Harden and KD together in OKC was, uh, did work really well, but Harden's a completely different guy now, totally different player. Um, and then the wild card would be Kyrie. Can, can, can the, all three of them handle that? I would imagine Harden would might say to himself, finally, like, I don't need all these ISOs, right? I don't, I would, I would like it to be easier for me. I would hope he would think that. I would think he'd say that. So that he might be, for some reason in my mind, he might be more amenable to that. But then does Kyrie, can he handle that and be the facilitator, has to manage egos and manage the rock across everywhere else and then deal with what he needs to score on his own after that? Interesting question. Um, but I, I, you know, listen, it's great to see Brooklyn making a splash here and see if they can make that work. And I hope I didn't say New Jersey, Brooklyn. Um, so, yeah, so that's an interesting take. Let's see here. I don't know if I have anything else to really add right now uh, as far as we, we kind of had the great questions and great uh, people coming in to talk. Um, so I think I think we're good. Unless there's any, any other questions in the, in the discussion, let me throw them out now or forever hold the peace. But um, otherwise, uh, really cool you guys are out here on um, Locker Room. I'm you know, and make sure to follow me. I intend that we'll do some more of these and bring on some other people as a pseudo, uh, like a podcast and, um, have some more interesting stuff. So stay tuned for that. i make sure to tell all your friends about this place. And, um, then we will, we'll go from there. But anyway, thanks so much for everybody for coming on. And, uh, don't forget sports fans at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel. We're a conversation. You in?